The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. When you meet somebody and you think to yourself, how is it that we don't already know each other? I kind of feel like that with Frances McDormand. I always want to know, like, how come I don't know Frances McDormand and she doesn't know me? I am so grateful to have our guest today, Laura Gassner Odding. She was introduced to me from another friend and also had huge kudos and shout outs from yet another friend. So you know what they say, three times a charm. And here we are. Laura Gassner Odding is not only an author and TED Talk speaker, but really what I love so much about her topic today, limitless assessment, is the identity and the resonance that it brings across so many people in capturing a moment of time where we feel lost and then it is somehow normalized and embraced. So thank you so much for coming today and uh, bearing with me and all of my imperfections and and ill-suited equipment. Well, I mean, I'm just thrilled to be here. I feel the same way. I feel like when you reached out to me, I'm like, don't I already know her? Don't know each other? How do we not know each other? So I'm really psyched to be able to have this conversation and get to know you too. Fantastic. So one of the things that I touched on in your intro and I think is super important for our listeners today, who many, 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 many of them are going through career transitions and are asking themselves that kind of wishy question around like, I want to be limitless. Like, even though we can come out of those situations, especially in an involuntary exit, we also are in a place where we often say to ourselves, God damn it, this time I'm not gonna, you know, sign up for that shitty boss or I'm not going to get into that toxic environment or this and that. I'm going to, this is my big swing moment. So tell us how you have come across in your life. How did you get to be the limitless assessment person? How did you you develop this? Because that's an awful lot to take on. And well, you know, it's interesting that you ask the question that way because it presumes that I never worked for the shitty boss or went to the toxic work environment or made the mistake. I could very easily tell a story as if every decision was planned and every investment was strategic and every conversation was mentoring and coaching and advising and it was a straight line. But it would be horseshit, right? Like I can tell the story that way. 
And I think far too often that's how the story's told. We get the like, he dropped out of college and then he invented Microsoft, billionaire, right? He created Facebook from his dorm room and then he's billionaire, right? Like we hear the story in this way that doesn't tell us enough about the messy middle. And I think the messy middle is where all the good stuff happens and all the lessons happen. But the problem is, is that when we're in the messy middle and we're trying to make a decision, we'll often go to the people who advised us when we were younger, who don't actually know who we are today. So like, I love my parents. My parents are wonderful. I'm so lucky and privileged to have them in my life. But the last time I lived in the same house as my parents, I was 17 years old. I mean, I didn't have a frontal lobe. I returned the car late for curfew with the volume all the way up and the gas tank all the way down, right? So like when I asked them for advice, they're not looking at the 52-year-old me with 30 years of experience and the career that I've had and the lessons that I've learned. They're still seeing me in part as a 17-year-old kid. So they're advising me to like, don't take that risk and don't jump off the bridge and don't go try that new thing. Don't start the business. Don't swing for the fences because they don't, they don't know what I'm capable of. And so we're limited so often by everyone else's opinions about who we can be and what we can be and what, God forbid, we shouldn't be. So I think the beginning of how do you figure out how to be limitless is to figure out who's giving you advice and whether they should be or not. Right. Literally is an exercise in tuning out the noise. Being limitless also means like shutting off a lot of the, and most of the time, to your point, either they haven't kind of connected with you in such a long time, or their filters are so clouded to begin with that everything is based off of that perception, again, for all of us. But but whatever they're clouded by is projected onto us. And then we start eating it like it's Captain Crunch right? And it's yummy. And we're like, oh, this is really good. And it's soft. Yeah. Well, especially when your parents' definition of success is not the same as yours. So like, again, I love my parents, but my parents were born in the 40s. They had the specter of the Holocaust and World War II and, you know, the Great Depression hanging over them. And all they cared about was like, find a career, doctor, lawyer, nurse, teacher, accountant, like something that has an identity. I am an F. So saying, I am going to change to this job and that job, and I'm going to drop out of law school and join a presidential campaign, and then I'm going to end up in the White House, and I'll create this, help create this program, and at that point, I'll, like, maybe go do something else and become a headhunter. At every point, they were like, that's not an et. That's not a career. That's just a job. But it turns out that you can create a career of a whole bunch of different jobs that make sense for you if there's a through line, and I can point to that through line now, it was very uncomfortable for my parents. So every time I was like, I'm going to leave law school, I'm going to leave the White House, I'm going to leave this big firm and start my own, I'm going to sell my own to my people and let's see what I do next. There wasn't an obvious safety net for them when I was jumping off the bridge. So they tried to talk me out of it. And what happens if they're trying to talk you out of it is like that little, all of their uncertainty is contagious. It's like a cancer. And it and, and it doesn't just go into our brain as uncertainty. It goes into our brain as doubt and imposter syndrome and anxiety. And so every time, anytime we get one little ounce of problem, we're like, oh, I guess they were right. Maybe I should go back to the safe thing. Right. Too bad we don't doubt our doubt more. 
specifically, right? I mean, like when 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 we listen to that voice of doubt, it steals away all what you know the wonder hell we'll talk about, but it steals away all the wonder, and it leaves us only in the hell. And so I think we have to, especially if we're in career change, not just think like what's the worst that can happen. Like I have so many people that are like, oh, I don't know if I can change jobs. I'm not so sure. What if things go wrong? And I'm like, great. What if things go wrong? What's the worst that can happen? What's your plan then? And always they have a plan. It's like, well, I guess I'll go back to a cubicle and I've got some savings and I've got this. Like, there's always a plan. I'm like, great. So you've got your plan B. Put it in a drawer. You know it's there. It's totally safe. What's your plan A? Because I think a lot of times we forget to focus on plan A. And so when then when things start working, we actually don't capitalize on the success because we didn't plan for it. We didn't expect it. And so we sabotage ourselves when we get to that moment of success because we're so worried about the failure that we've already reinforced our brain. Crazy. So there are four kind of key components to this limitless assessment. Yes. And I want to talk about them because when you roll them all together, you get this thing called consonant. Yes. So would you explain what this holy grail of consonants is about and what those four components are underneath that so that people could understand, hey, there's actually like a framework that, again, not like rigid or, or fixed, but some, some guideposts to help you get to understand what this big limitless bucket looks like at yes. the of consonants. Yes. So when I was in my career in executive search, so 20 years in executive search, it was my job to call thousands of people, right? You know the world of executive search, but for your listeners who may not know it, it was my job to call on behalf of my clients to call the most successful people in the world and recruit them away to work on their behalf, right? So I was calling boldface names, doing boldface things in boldface organizations. That sounds like kind of a hard job, except for the fact that I, I was calling them because they were super happy, but they weren't very happy, which is, or sorry, they were super successful, but they weren't very happy, which is why they were calling me back, right? So I was calling them because they were super successful. They weren't very happy, so they were calling me back. And I became fascinated by this, right? Like, we've all been told, like, once you hit success, everything is going to be amazing, right? It's going to be great. And yet, here were these people who were at the top of their game, and they still weren't satisfied. So I was like, all right, something's up here. Now, in my job in search, I was also helped by the fact that there are about eight motivating factors that get anybody interested in a new job at any given time. And there are things like, what's the mission of the organization? Am I inspired by the leader? How prestigious will the job look on my resume? How many skills will I learn? What's the scope of impact? What are the, uh, what's the geography, the benefits, and of course, money. So every one of us has worked with a counselor, whether it was a high school career counselor or a college career counselor or a career career counselor that has said, here's the list of what makes a good job good. But they never ask us to prioritize that list for what matters to us. So there's never a here's what makes a good job good for you. Some of us put money at the very top of the list. Some of us want to work in something that inspires us. Some of us want to think about I'm I've got to really work hard in this job right now because it sets me up for a career trajectory later. So the prestige looks better, right? We're at every age and every stage, these things are different. And so what I realized was that there are four things that people really want in different amounts at different points in their career. Calling, connection, contribution, and control. 
So just really quickly, calling is the gravitational force that gets you out of bed in the morning, right? It's the thing that you want to build. It's the business that you want to grow. It's the leader who inspires you. It's the family you want to nurture, right? It's the cause that you want to serve, calling. The second is connection. Does your work matter? What's in your inbox, on your calendar, on your to-do list? Does that stuff get you closer to the calling that you just identified or farther from the calling that you just identified? So if you called in sick tomorrow, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Does your work connect to your calling? Third, contribution. Your work should contribute something to your life. Is it allowing you to manifest your values on a daily basis? Is it giving you the career trajectory that you're looking for? Is it helping you to have the, you know, have the lifestyle that you'd like to live, right? What is this work contributing to your life? And then lastly, control. And control really answers the question of how much personal agency do you have about how much that work connects to your calling and how much it contributes to your life. So do you have a say in the teams to which you're assigned, the projects that you're put on, the metrics by which you're measured? If you're up for a promotion, do you have any say in that whole experience, right? Like how much is your hustle going to earn for you? So how much control do you have? And studies actually show that people are more willing to take jobs to give them more control than jobs to give them more power because our amount of personal autonomy has a direct correlation to how well we perform in a job. Oh, okay. So now we got these four C's. What is consonance? What is, what is, when, when we get all that, like it all rolls up into this amazing place called consonance. Describe consonance. Right. So consonance is when you have the amount of calling, connection, contribution and control that you want. So your definition is going to be different than my definition. Mm -hmm. But your definition today is different than your definition was 15 years ago. It's going to be different than your definition is five years from now. All of our definitions change. So when I was 20 years old, 21 years old, dropping out of law school, joining the presidential campaign, I wanted to work for a guy who inspired me. But I was getting the coffee for the guy who got the coffee for the guy who got the coffee. So I had all the calling in the world, but no connection whatsoever. Did I have contribution? Sure, I was manifesting my values every day. I was being paid in all the ramen soup and idealism I could eat. But I knew that if you won, this might create an interesting career trajectory for me. And then in terms of control, I didn't know if they were going to send me to Poughkeepsie or Little Rock or L.A. I had no control. But all I cared about was calling and contribution. That was I was all in. Now I'm 52 years old and I've got, you know, one kid in college, one about to go to college. I'm not getting out of bed and getting on an airplane and flying somewhere for three days to speak for an hour unless somebody is paying me the right amount of money. It's the right logo that I'm connect, correct, uh, you know, collecting. I'm getting to know people that are going to be really interesting because otherwise it's not worth it for me to leave. Right. So my calling is no longer this leader I want to serve. It's the family that I want to nurture. That's more important to me right now than the business that I want to build. So at every age and at every stage, like it's got to connect. Connecting doesn't for me doesn't mean going and speaking a lot now. Connecting means making sure that I am actually at home and present with my family. So I'm more interested in doing more virtual stuff or more podcasts right now. Come August 30th, when we move into college, that entire thing changes. So consonance really means what puts you in alignment and flow right now. So all the like success, hustle, porn nonsense we see with like the slick back bros jetting off to ink their next deal or the influencers telling us to like follow your passion. It's all nonsense unless it's something you care about because we can't be insatiably hungry for someone else's goals. But every time we feel stressed, 
we go to the internet and we look at Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn or wherever, and we see everyone else's goals. And then we try to like shove ourselves into that. But that gives us dissonance, not consonance. So what I ask people to do in this limitless assessment that I have out is to take this quiz and it takes about 20 minutes at limitlessassessment.com. It's a little long, but you know, like it's your life. Your life's pretty short. So you should take this quiz, figure it out right now. It helps people understand what they have. So for example, if I'm not looking for any calling at all right now, and I have no calling, congratulations, I'm in consonance, right? We don't have to have all of each of them. You just have to have as much as you want right now. So I love this because I'm a big challenger, right? I'm a big challenger of a lot of different things and kind of like to poke a lot of holes in um, conventional wisdom. And yes. that have been done before, before, before. And the basis of this podcast is about, you know, dispelling a lot of stinky career advice. Mm -hmm. And one of them, you, I mean, you've talked about several here, right? Like this idea about what success looks like and, you know, kind of like this definition around um, you need to have this cookie cutter thing, identity, career, and and how that changes. But in this kind of thread that we're going down with respect to limitless limitless assessment and the idea of consonants, how does this zoom past a lot of stinky career advice that people hear? Listen, as a recruiter, as somebody who is in career transition, you know, the one that gets up my butt is I need to make sure, you know, my resume is perfect. I, yeah. this resume thing, this is like the resume is like the, is like the 10 commandments of, <laughs> of certainty. And so I'm curious how limitlessness assessment, I'm having a hard time uh, slurring this. Just say being limitless is fine. Well, limitless. How yes. that fighting kind of the boxes that people need to squeeze themselves into when they are going into career opportunities? I mean, I think the first thing is that we need to eschew everybody else's definition, right? So everybody is giving you advice. You, and anybody gives you advice that starts with, you need to? You should ask, why? Why do I need to, right? A lot of it is projection. In the same way that, you know, if you run into a friend at the coffee shop and you tell them about your big, hairy, audacious goal and they're like, oh my God, you can't do that. That's too scary. But they really mean that I can't do that. I'm too scared, right? So I think we need to make sure, first of all, we're getting advice from the right people, as you mentioned before. But also, is their advice coming from a place of projection? Like, are they telling you to do what they want to do? Or are they telling you to do what's good for you? And a lot of times people will say, like, the career advice we get is bigger, better, faster, more. You know, like, I had a real problem with Lean In, like Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. And it wasn't my issue wasn't with all of her privilege, which I know is like what everybody gets on her for. Obviously, there's a lot of privilege, but you use your privilege to get where you are. I use my privilege to get where I am. Everybody listening uses their privilege. We'd be crazy not to use whatever privilege we have. She has a whole lot more privilege, but we'd all be crazy if we didn't use our privilege. My issue was that she defined success only as the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office. Do all the things, say yes to everything, sacrifice yourself, do it all the time, and it will pay dividends throughout your career. Yes, if that's how you're defining success. But if you're not defining success as the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office, then maybe rather than leaning into her definition of success, we should figure out and lean into our own. So my issue with her wasn't how she achieved success, it was how she defined 
success. And so I guess my anti-thinky career advice is we have to stop. We have to stop swinging for someone else's fences. We got to figure out what our fences are, right? Like, and that scares people because they're yes. instantly off of a grid, right? And yes. that means that you got to like put your big boy and big girl pants on and really dig deep. And yeah, a lot easier to just go and sign up for a job than it is to actually get into the mud. Yes. And I, you know, I think a lot of times we get so uncomfortable with everyone else's discomfort. So again, you run to somebody at the coffee shop and you tell them, they're like, what are you doing now? And you're like, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do some exploration. And they look at you like, what? Like they look at you like you're speaking Urdu or something. Like they have no idea what you're talking about and they don't know what to do. And the reason is because they're uncomfortable. Suddenly they can't say, Laura, headhunter, right? Laura, you know, political appointee. Laura, right? Entrepreneur. Like they had like a checkbox where they put me. And when they could have put me in the checkbox, they didn't know what to do with me. And suddenly I was like a file card in their brain that was swimming around in the open air, right? Like I was creating problems for them. And so because I'm so uncomfortable with somebody else's discomfort, I would immediately jump in and say, but I'm doing some consulting right now. I would have to like, so, and then, so then when I got approached with the consult, like when I sold my company, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I thought maybe go into venture capital. I wasn't really sure. I was like, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. I've spent 20 years sizing people up. I could probably be a venture capitalist. Like those two things are things you need to understand how to do. And then I talked to a bunch of venture capitalists and I was like, I don't actually want to be one of you. No, I decided not to do it. But in the time that I was exploring, I got asked to do a bunch of consulting work. And when people were super uncomfortable with me floating around as this like wild card in their brain, I just said yes to some of the consulting work because I felt like I needed to tell people I was doing something. And because I did that, I ended up with six months of work that I didn't love, which was distracting from my own exploration. Nobody do like a man doing this right now, but I'm like me, that little like, simple, like, I love you so much for, <laughs> for saying right now, like, I use this consulting thing as a placeholder because I didn't know at the time that it, it would be okay yes. to say I'm... Yes. I'm in order. Then I had to, it took me like a year to unravel myself out of the stuff that I said yes to just to make other people comfortable. Like, yeah. to, let me rephrase that. It took me a year to unravel myself from the things I said yes to, to make people whose opinions I didn't actually care about more comfortable, right? Oh, like sorry. I didn't actually care. At the end of the day, it didn't actually matter. And yet I still, I was so uncomfortable with their discomfort. And I think we do that a lot. And when we do that, when we jump in to make everyone else feel better, we're the ones who feel worse. Okay. So I'm all with you. Like, I'm like, literally. Yeah. Yeah. The victory sign is here. Yeah. Really. Now, we're moving away from limitlessness and we're moving over to this other amazing coin phrase that I have been using called Wonder Health. And yes, congratulations on your new book. Thank uh, you. I especially love all the imagery around the amusement park, and I'm going to have you talk about that. Or yeah, I, I actually am afraid of amusement park, so like I loved it and I didn't love it because it gives me like nervous energy. Oh my god, I gave I I gave an early copy of the of the outline to my vet, who I actually profiled in Limitless as somebody who changed his career, and I was like, "What'd you think?" And he was like, "Amusement park stressed me out." He goes, "I have to tell you, I hated it." 
<laughs> He's like, I would not read. Zero out of 10. Oh, my God. So talk to us, please, and describe what Wonder Hell is, because you don't necessarily know what Wonder Hell is right now, user, listener, person on the other end of this podcast. But trust me when I tell you, when Laura reveals what it is, you will be like, I'm living in it now. So, yes. Or I've encountered it before. Yes. Help us as if what wonder hell is. What I often ask people is, have you ever accomplished something you didn't quite think you could accomplish? Maybe it was something huge, like you sold a company. Maybe something small, like you gave a presentation in front of your team for the first time ever. But you did something you didn't think you could do. And you were like, wow, that was amazing. That was exciting. It was humbling. It was kind of wonderful. And also when I did it, I saw a version of myself that I didn't know was possible. And now want to be that person. Oh, it's exciting. Huh. The work I did opened more doors than I ever thought possible, but it also revealed the possibilities of even more doors than I never thought possible for me. And now I'm filled with doubt and uncertainty and anxiety and imposter syndrome and dread and envy and burnout. It's wonderful, but it's also kind of hell. It's wonder hell. It is. And I am in it right now, like I told you right before we started this podcast, right? So it's kind of like the perfect blend between all the, all the wishes you ever wanted that come true and all the hell and unexpected things that also show up in the process. Yes. And so... In your latest book, Wonder Hell, which so amazing, you bring some people through, I think it's 15 different yes, is within the amusement park. So now I have to ask you, which is your favorite ride or which is the ride that you identify with most? Well, so you're catching me or you're catching me four days before my very last keynote that I'm giving which indicates the end of book launch, right? So the book's been out for a couple months and I give a keynote in Dallas on Tuesday. I live in Boston. So I give a keynote in Dallas on Tuesday. I fly home on Wednesday and on Thursday, my family and I are going on a 10-day trip to Japan. The plane for which I am going to slither onto before I collapse in my seat. So this has been a year in the making. Like I turned in the book a year ago and then you basically take two weeks of rest and then you turn to book launch. So I've been working on book launch for a year. So right now I would probably say that I relate most to the carousel, to the merry-go-round, which is the part where you're like, I think I'm going to slow down for a little bit because kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And like I mentioned, they're about to leave. So Wonder Hell is is organized, as you mentioned, like an amusement park. There's three towns. There's Imposter Town, Doubtsville, and Burnout City. And it's really interesting because Limitless was a much easier book to write. It was, I wrote it in like six weeks. Like it took me 20 years and six weeks to come up with it. I wrote it in six weeks. So it's very linear. We all want success to feel better, but it doesn't. Why doesn't it? Because when we achieve success, we get to the top and we look around and we go, the top of what? Is this all there is? Is this all I want? Okay, why is that? because you followed somebody else's definition of success. Cool. We now need to find our own. How do you do that? Consonants, calling, connection, contribution, control. Now that you know your definition of consonants, let's figure out whether you should change yourself, your work, your workplace, or your career to get there. Easy, linear. Wonder Hell was a little bit harder because everybody experiences Wonder Hell differently. So some people 
might be dealing with uncertainty. Some people are dealing with perfectionism. Some people are dealing with embracing their ambition, seeing themselves bigger for the first time. Some people are dealing with doubt. Some people are dealing with all the different things. So it really, we designed it as an amusement park because, you know, when you go to an amusement park, you might ride, you might go to a different town. You might ride in a different ride. Some people want to start at Small World. Some people want to go to, you know, the roller coaster. But each of us do it differently. And so it was, I designed it as an amusement park with the sort of, with the math that like, you are here. Because I figured everyone, you know, it's kind of a make your own adventure book. You're fine. That's something that I might throw. Yeah. So, you know, at any given time, at any given moment, I would say I'm in a different place. So like when the book first came out, I was in the Imaginarium. I was dreaming bigger. I was imagining I could be something more. I wasn't quite sure I could do it. I went through the hall of mirrors. I'm not who I think I am or who you think I am. I'm who you think I am, who I think you think I am. So like then the imposter syndrome came in. So I think we all go into different places at different times. I mean, could you see yourself relating to different rides for different periods of your career? Oh, I mean, why include my whole career? Why not just take any 24 hours? I mean, it literally, it, it's it's almost what I love so much about it is the analogies are so are so spot on, right? The Hall of Beavers, uh, you know, the carousel, all of these things we we encounter on a regular basis. And especially I want to add too, and and you've done this so many times and so successfully, and and, and I don't mean like successfully in like the kind of glamorized or hyperbolic way, in the very organic kind of like the real deal kind of way where every pivot transition, reinvention stirs it up all over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why I say every 24 hours, I mean, especially, you know, we here you were, you know, on the corporate side and then you went to the political side and then you went to the entrepreneurial side and now you're on the author side. And each one of those things brings a whole different tsunami of wonder health. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, when Limitless came out, I, I honestly thought three people would buy the book. The only reason I wrote it was I was giving speeches and I was starting to get paid, you know, what I considered real money to give talks. And I looked around and I was like, well, the people who are making a real, real money, they all have books. I should get me one of them. Right. Like I knew that that was the next stage. And so I wrote Limitless because I wrote it, A, honestly, because it was easy to write because I'd spent 20 years thinking about it in my head. So all I had to do was just sit down and write the damn thing. So I wrote it like if it was going to take me five years to do it, I've never done it. But it, it took me three years to write Wonder Hell. So it did. It took longer. But I I wrote it because I knew that I needed it to get to the next level of my career. And then the book comes out and I have zero platform. Like I literally don't even have a mailing list at this point. I didn't have a newsletter. I had nothing like zero. Like it's not even a small one. I had nothing. And I thought three people would buy the book, like my husband, my mother, my father, and probably my father would buy it used for my mother, right? Like I really, I, I, I only wrote the book because I wanted to have a fancy business card to say to speaking bureaus, like, look, I have a book. And then it debuted as a Washington Post bestseller at number two, right behind Michelle Obama. And when it came out, I had spent the previous several months, like, you know, trying to launch this book. And I was fueled by like nothing but coffee and protein bars and like the adrenaline that fear gives you by the fistful. And and I was so tired that when I got the news, the part of my brain that dictated good decision making was like absent from my my 
like effort from my brain and the part of my brain that dictated humility went right after that. And the first thing I thought of when they said number two, right behind Michelle Obama was, how do you get to be number one? But I was like, I want to be number one. How can I do that? And then I like, again, bad decision making. I was like, I'm going to throw myself into this. How do I do that? Because I saw this version of myself. I didn't even know I could make a bestseller list. I thought those things were like for famous people. And honestly, I don't even think I sold that many books. But I think some editor in Washington, D.C. got a copy of the book, liked it and was like, I'll put her on the list. So I don't I don't know who that is, but thank you to the editor. <laughs> you right. you, editor. Because that introduced me to this idea that maybe I could be more. Maybe I could do this differently. Maybe I could grow my list. Maybe I could write another one. Maybe that could be a Wall Street Journal, right? Bestseller. Like none of these, none of these dreams were there for me because I didn't even, I, I didn't even know it was possible. Like nobody wakes up one day having never run a mile in their life and says, I'm going to run a marathon. You run a mile. And then you're like, maybe I could string three of those together and do a 5K. And then you do a 5K and you're like, maybe I could string two of those together and do a 10K. And as you start running more, you're like, maybe a hat. Maybe I could. Maybe possibly one day think about a marathon. And so like everybody says, like, if you can dream it, you can do it. Like, it's nonsense, right? Like, if you can do it, you can dream it. Like, confidence comes from competence. And so for me, I, I had to put one foot in front of the other. But once you start doing that, then you see this version of yourself, right? Like you were telling us before we started recording that you just moved to Asheville and you're trying to figure out your life there and what's it going to look like. But you have a vision of what it can be. And because you visited enough to visit family there, that now you want to reach into that. You want to you want to try to make that your life. But that's going to take time and energy and investment and uncomfortable, you know, meeting new people and all those things. But because you've seen that version, you can't unsee it. Right. And, you know, I always think to myself that, you know, if I don't do this now, my future self is going to be really pissed off. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's like like if I bail now at whatever fill in the blank is, and that's also for you listeners, you know, if you if you bail now, your future self is like literally giving you the middle finger and going like, oh, thanks a lot. You know, sometimes when I have a hard time motivating myself to do something, I think to myself, what kind of person do I want to be? Like take the marathon thing, for example. I never want to get out of bed and run. Like I hate running. Running is terrible. But I'm training for my sixth marathon because I'm probably, I guess, don't still have good decision making capacity. And I was laying in bed this morning, very cozy and comfortable in my little comfortable bed. I was waking up at home. I'm not on the road somewhere. It's amazing. And all I wanted to do was stay in bed. But I thought to myself, if I want to be a, somebody who's run six marathons, like I have a marathon coming up at the end of September. What does what would that person do? Like, what would the marathoner do? Well, the marathoner would get her ass out of bed and go for that run. So I got my ass out of bed and I went for the run. So like, I know my future self wants to do a thing. So I usually ask myself, like, what would the insert future self type thing here? Totally. Right. So let me just ask you something. After you went for the run, did you come back and get in the shower and go, God damn it, Laura, that was the biggest waste of time. I am so mad that I took that run. What was I thinking? I mean, does anybody ever say that? No, no. like we are, we are, you know, and I was, we, we are always, I, I, I think you're always like one workout away from, you know, improving your life. Like it just, 
Nobody ever regret nobody. And so like, I think that's funny. I have a friend who's like, my strategy is get on my treadmill for five minutes. Like nobody ever gets off the treadmill after five minutes, right? Like you stand, you're there, you're on it. So you just have to like, I think the hard thing about doing hard things isn't the hard. It's the do, right? It's just the starting. Like once you get started, it's so much easier. Like 95% of the, 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 of the work is the actually doing. It's like the getting going. It's not the oh. hardness. It's what I always call this the bullshit manufacturing plant, these things between the ears. Yes. It, that's really where, where it all goes down. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I just want to ask you quickly, what's, where is the exit sign at Wonder Health? Where is like the evacuation or like the, hey, you got to like, you know, here's the trap door or the exit strategy. How do people get out of Wonder Health? Well, so it's very interesting because when I found myself in Wonder Health, I decided to take advantage of the great privilege that I have being in the job I'm in. And I called 100 different glass ceiling shatterers, Olympic medalists, startup unicorns, who I met in the green room of all these speaking engagements, incredible humans. And I asked them the same question. I was like, how'd you get out of it? And what I learned, much to my dismay, is that you don't. There's no exit. There's only one exit, and it's the final one at the end, right? Like, we don't want that exit. There is no way to get out of it. What they learned, what I learned from them is that they didn't survive it and get through it. They learn to thrive in it because Wonder Health loves itself a repeat visitor. Because on the other side of this success, when you learn something about yourself, is the next thing you go for. And then you learn something about yourself. And then the next thing you go for. So on the other side of each success, it's just the next one and the next one and the next one after that, if we're lucky. And I'm not saying bigger, better, faster, more. No, I'm saying you rather just wrap around the mouth. I love the lap around. So you like, you know, I consider that I'm in wonder hell now about how do I maximize the time with my kids this summer? And then I'm going to maximize time in my work again in the fall. Right. So it's not just like crush your 10 extra business, dude. It's like when we understand that there's another you know, layer inside of us and we want to explore it and go for it and learn from it. That's going to happen over and over and over again because we have evolved for millennia to be people who, who, who strive and who grow and who are curious and, and who dig. And, you know, to think that there's a finite level to our growth, that to me is pretty depressing. So much to my dismay, there isn't a way out of Wonder Hell. There isn't a way to survive it. But there is a way to look forward to it and learn from it and grow in it and enjoy it and actually thrive in it instead. So I think that's shouldn't be the goal is when I, not when I get through this moment, I won't be stressed. But what can I learn about this? Because next time it's going to happen again. And I don't like if I'm going to be spending what do, what, what, what do you say? A third of your time in your life. We might as well learn how to enjoy it and 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 the joy and the fear and the pressure and the, the potential and the excitement and the uncertainty, the whole tsunami of emotions that come out as every minute of every day. Exactly. All right. Here are your three signature questions. I can't. Okay. All right. So you have some good stuff in your office. I can see. I can see that. I'm suspicious of people with like a super tidy, clean office. Uh, this is yeah, not super tidy, clean. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good thing by my standards. In some place, I'm sure there's a post-it. So what post-it do you want to offer people from this conversation today? Something that they should smack dab on either their desktop or someplace in their office yeah. is a gentle reminder. Yeah. The only opinion that counts is yours. Mm, genius. Stop giving votes in your life to people who shouldn't even have voices. That's what I say. And you could include any one of yours or something else. What's your go-to business book? 
What's your, what's the book that you're like, oh my God, this changed my life? Oh, well, that's very interesting. Actually, it's not a business book. It's a book called Stones from the River, which it's actually right there by Ursula Hege. Do you know that? I loved that book. I read that book when I was 24 years old. I was on the, in the back of a bus in Turkey and I was bawling my eyes out and all the Turkish people were like, who is this crazy white lady? What's happening? Um, but what I loved about that book is that it's about this, uh, this dwarf, right? This dwarf, as you know, you've read it but for your, for your listeners, uh, who was in uh, uh, Nazi era Germany. And because she's a dwarf, everybody ignores her. And she ends up hearing stories from German soldiers, which she then brings back to, you know, British intelligence who are then able to, you know, beat the Germans. Right. So what I loved about that book was that she didn't take everybody else's decision about what her identity was and who she was and what her fate was, but she made her own. Isn't, ooh, isn't that a good precursor? Oh, excellent. And of course, your walk-up song. What is your walk-up song, Laura? Gosh, there is a song by uh, this band called The Interrupters that starts off with this like super like punk rock chick yelling, what's your plan for tomorrow? Will you need or will you follow? And it's just like, it's, it's so good and it's so badass. And yeah, so uh, I don't know what the name of the song is, but that's how I'm going to do it. It's by The Interrupters. And it is, yeah, what's your plan for tomorrow? Will you lead or will you follow? Like we have one short life. So what are we going to do with it? I I want to lead. I don't need to lead people. I, I want to lead myself, right? Like I want to lead myself and, I, and if people follow, awesome, right? But I want to be the kind of person that will make my past self proud. Mm. I love this. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for you. Thank you for showing up here, even though we didn't, quote unquote, know each other. But now we do. And what's your walk up song before we go? I need to know. Mine is Macklemore's Sailing Can't Hold Us. And the very uh, that was the song that I had a friend of mine pick me up on the first day of uh, one of my several chemo appointments and we were blasting that thing out the yin yang and that nice came kind of the walk up song and the suit up shot song and it served me ever since so thank love it thank you so much please everyone here make sure that you follow laura on linkedin both of her books will be the links will be in the show notes for to buy them on amazon Check out her TED Talk. We will also make sure that that is there. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Laura, so, so much. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now. And share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.